Thank you, Pastor Steve. Thank you. <clears throat> Please be seated. Don't you appreciate the sacrifice and obedience that Steve and Lindy made, Pastor Steve and Lindy made 15 years ago in birthing this church? And we love you and appreciate you, Pastor Steve and Lindy and all the team, Lauren and Dan and Blake and all of what God's doing here. It's a true honor to be with you. And um, it is... I. I'm, every time I'm here, I'm so impacted by the worship. It makes you not want to leave. Um, so thank you, worship team, and thank you for the way you worship as a church. You know, worship heals. And the faster we worship, the faster we heal. Worship changes the atmosphere. Worship changes the outcome. I saw more and more notable miracles happening during your worship um, that just would be acts of the Holy Spirit happening while the church is worshiping. And, you know, I, I'm not uh, overly enthusiastic about, I, I don't talk about angels all the time. I don't see them at every place. But there's definitely angelic activity every time I come here. You feel it. And it's a, a beautiful thing. And uh, so praise God for what he's doing. And I'm excited to announce that it's harvest time for Bethel, Atlanta. And... Um, <clears throat> The Lord's going to surprise you, you know, in kind of a beautiful convergence with the timelines of the finishing the building, what happens next as far as a great multiplication of the size and scope of your church, a great ingathering of people finding Christ and finding freedom in Christ here. So you ain't seen nothing yet, Bethel, Atlanta, because God's got some amazing things you know, the, the, the sky is pregnant over Atlanta with all the prophetic words that have been released for decades. And this, the sky is pregnant over this. And so we're, I'm praying it rains, but not tomorrow for Dan. But uh, the, the reign of the spirit, um, all of those words coming to pass. So thank you for your faithfulness and you that have participated in served and belong to this church. Thank you for being a part of something truly special and beautiful. I want to show you a, a little picture of my little tribe of people. Uh, this was a couple. In October, we were together in Laguna Beach. Two of my kids live in Laguna Beach, and so if the kids won't come to you, you go to the kids. <clears throat> and uh, that's, we have four kids and their spouses and seven grandkids, um, the Super Seven as I call them now. And uh, I had a wonderful time, and uh, my beautiful wife is there in front of me in that picture. Uh, she sends her love, beautiful Mary, and I'm excited. Um, last year, my, my wife has this really uh, amazing Christmas village she puts up. It is, it is the, the size of about two-thirds of this stage is that big, and so it is this huge endeavor. The thing I like about it most is just beautiful, but... But she's so meticulous about doing it, she won't let me help because I don't, don't do it right. So I'm like, oh, honey, I wanted to help, but you know you, you don't want me to help. So it works out kind of good for me every year. But she, last year we didn't put it up. She wasn't, you know, she didn't feel it. This year she, she got it up, and so it's fun. Um, things are more, um, at least in our home, more uh, like they've always been for Christmas. And uh, God is good, Amen. So my message is lift up your eyes, but really it's about it's harvest time for Bethel, Atlanta. And we want to, as believers, it's so funny. Um, 
we pray for things, and then when they show up, sometimes we act surprised, you know, or what, what's this? But um, a, a tremendous harvest. I just want to say this. Thousands of people are coming here. They're going to find Christ, find freedom. So what you have is too good to not be shared. And the prayers and the, really the heart of this church is drawing in a harvest of souls. So in John chapter 4, I'll be reading from just a few verses of this great chapter. Really the best example of personal evangelism in the Bible is when Christ witnessed to the woman of Samaria at the well. Just a couple points and then we'll talk about them and then pray for each other. Before I get going, let me tell you, share something funny. This lovely older woman was at the mall shopping and she came out uh, after shopping and came to her car and realized she had accidentally locked the keys in her car. And so she lifted up her voice and said, God, please send someone to help me. Almost immediately, this man pulled up in this Harley Davidson, got off his bike. He was the roughest looking man she'd ever seen, covered in tattoos, wearing leather. And he said, ma'am, can I help you? And she said, yes, I, I've, I've locked my keys in the car. Well, he reached down, found a hanger on the parking lot, and in 15 seconds, unlocked that car door. And she said, Lord, thank you for sending this nice man to help me. And the man said, nice man, lady, I just got out of prison for auto theft. <laughs> she lifted up her voice and said, Lord, thank you. You even sent an expert. Verse 27, I, I, I wish we could read the whole chapter, but you guys know this chapter. Verse 27, at this point, the disciples came and they marveled that Jesus talked with the woman. And no one said, what are you doing, Jesus? And why are you, why are you talking to her? So they thought it, but were afraid to speak it. Uh, that's wisdom. <laughs> the woman left her water pot, went on her way to the city and said to the man, come see a man who told me all things I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? And so she has this really beautiful encounter. If you, when you read about it, the way Jesus shared the power of his love and the greatness of his grace to this woman is just breathtaking. It's beautiful. And uh, finally, he snared her and broke her free with the word of knowledge about having five husbands and then leaving, living presently with a man who is not a husband. And you know, I, I posted this a couple years ago, and it's, I, I, I like posting it every year. The woman at the well had been divorced five times, and Jesus still used her. Don't let people count you out because you've had a complicated past. Jesus preserves your future. She is singularly the greatest evangelist in the, in the New Testament or in, in the Gospels. A whole city is reached because of her testimony. And uh, there was some speculation about, you know, her what her history really entailed. But the whole point is that Jesus used someone who was broken and hurting. And that broken and hurting person saw a whole city saved. Never let the devil tell you that you're discounted, that you're unusable, that your past somehow has diminished what God can do in your future. God loves to do great things with hurting people, with people that have interesting pasts. So anyways... Uh, the next verse says, then they went out to the city and came to Jesus. In the meantime, the whole, the whole city did. Uh, in the meantime, the disciples urged him saying, uh, Rabbi, it's time to eat. 
Now, Jesus is in the euphoria of the will of God, and he says, I have food of which you do not know. And therefore, the disciples said to each other, has anyone brought him some, something to eat? So they right away attached that to a natural appetite. And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So Jesus said, the most satisfying moments in life is when you accomplish an assignment from heaven. That the will of God be in the will and finishing or accomplishing the will of God, even in specific moments or tasks, that we experience in those moments such a rich, deep personal satisfaction that it overwhelms us with meaning, significance, value, and purpose. We feel, I was made for this. And, and those, those moments of, of fighting and, and satisfying God's will. Uh, do you not say, verse 35 is my whole message, <clears throat> do you not say there are four months and then comes the harvest? And so just traditionally, I, I've been doing this 43 years. Mary and I have been married 42 years. And uh, I, uh, you know, I'm humbled and grateful that God has allowed me to serve his church um, that long. But the church traditionally, we're so good about postponing till to, to tomorrow things God could do right now. So we talk about the coming moves of God. I just want to say this. All the ingredients for revival are in Bethel, Atlanta. There's nothing missing. There's no missing key person. There's no missing key ingredient. They're all, the, 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 the heavenly stew, I can smell the aroma. And it's going to feed multitudes. So everything's here. The presence of God is here. The preaching of the gospel is here. The right leadership team is here. The unity, like Blake shared, the communion of the spirit is here. And all of those things, plus many more, the prayerfulness, the diligence, the obedience, the, the, the love, the, the, the hunger for a, a radical kingdom justice in this moment, all the things that God wants to do are here. There's nothing missing. And so Jesus said, don't, don't, don't you typically say it's going to be harvest in a few months. And then he finished the verse by saying, behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They are already white for harvest. And so Jesus said, you guys don't understand. It's harvest time now. It's harvest time now. It's revival time now for Atlanta. It's revival time now for Bethel. I, I, I'm telling you, God's going to blow your mind by what happens in just a few weeks or months. Really next year in this church, so many things happening so quickly. All of them related to fulfillment of prayers and prophetic words and the vision of the church. The things, the blueprint and the culture God has put upon the heart of the leaders for years. Those things are coming to pass. God cares about Atlanta and all the world is, most, is one of the most strategic cities that God has appointed to be a, a leadership place for the kingdom. So you're a part of a, a, a very special work of grace and it's just going to get better and better and better. It's harvest time, Bethel, Atlanta. And so Jesus said, so Jesus is walking in the spirit. He's in the euphoria of all cities there. So the disciples watched that. They, they, they witnessed the woman, the end of the talk. She ran down, the whole city runs up. And now he's, Christ is in the euphoria of having a whole city converted, a whole city converged to him, a whole city transformed by one woman's testimony. And he's, he's talking about 
the, the food, the satisfying meal of heaven, doing God's will. And then he said this, um, I've done what you couldn't do because I saw what you couldn't see. When we can see what other people can't see, we can do what other people can't do. So the, the, the power of walking in the Holy Spirit's leadership, and the power of having a prophetic agency through the Holy Spirit giving us leadership is that when you can see it, you can have it. God never shows us things he, wants, he doesn't want us to have. So in the kingdom of God, God shows us something by revelation so we can possess it as citizens of the kingdom. And so it's such an exciting time because I see revival. I see revival in Atlanta. I see revival at Bethel, Atlanta. It's already here. You're already having revival. The SARS, they revived beautifully a culture, kingdom culture church where all the ingredients are functioning, operating. But I see the in-gathering. I see the repercussions, the consequence of the effect on your city and culture. It's going to be phenomenal. So get ready, fasten your seatbelt and get, get ready for things to happen because all of a sudden the church will be bigger. Well, I liked the church, but it was smaller. Of course you did. <laughs> of course you did. You got more attention and more da, da, da. That, I get it. But we, God cares about souls. And Atlanta has been positioned and appointed to be a city that carries and exemplifies and models revival for the rest of the world. And so God's adding souls. God's adding the book of Acts. And many souls were added and then it assists and many souls were multiplied. They kept going until there was this great escalation in the amount of people coming to the kingdom. And so I see it. I can't wait for you guys to see it for to experience. Now, I just want to uh, go a little bit further with this. I want to say in your family, it's harvest time. It's harvest time for the backslidden one to come home. It's harvest time for prayers to be answered. It's harvest time for, for all kinds of things that have been on the, the burner of your intercession and burning in your heart for passion and the unfinished business of the things you know God wants to do, it's harvest time for your life. Just elbow someone and say, it's harvest time. <clears throat> One of the assignments, I think, especially of um, the next generation of amazing leaders here at Bethel, um, that God has, just like this woman, um, here is a, a woman, the greatest evangelist in the Gospels. So Jesus broke down every wall that was in existence then. So he broke down the wall of sexism. And what a sin. I just want to apologize for every woman here because the church has sinned against women for so long by making them be silent, by stealing their ministry and their service to Christ. But, but when the Holy Spirit was poured out, that wall was torn down. And Peter said... I will pour my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. He said that there at the cross, there's the releasing of women, the empowering of women. And Jesus tore down the wall that said that God can't use women. And the, the, the church should not be a, a club for men, at least in the, the culture of leadership. Amen. Praise God for all the powerful women that are being empowered at Bethel Atlanta, including Pastor Lauren and everyone else, Pastor 
Lindy. Such a great example in Pastor Lindy and Pastor Lauren of godly leaders that are women and possess all the traits of femininity but all the power of the kingdom. So great example for everyone and all the worship leaders. Man, the worship this morning was wonderful and uh, just so, so amazing. The second thing Christ tore down was the wall of racism. So the, the Samaritans... At the time of Christ, the Samaritans, they're, they're, they were a nation of people, a race of people that were half Gentile, half Jewish. And so interestingly enough, both Gentiles and Jews despised them. So, it, so the, even though they had rights to claim some of the Jewish heritage or religious traditions, the Jewish, especially Orthodox, they rejected them kind of violently. And, and so they were mistreated and really remember the parable of the uh, of the good Samaritan so Jesus picked a Samaritan intentionally picked someone who was downcast and and, and um, undervalued and even who was who, who experienced prejudice and bias and said that's the hero of my story because it's not the color of your skin it's the content of your heart it's, it's the character of Christ in you who who can love people the best? Sometimes it's the people that have been hurt the worst. And so Jesus tore down the wall of, of prejudice. Now, I just want to say a couple of things. The body of Christ in America, we, we've, we, we've not handled the, the last couple of years really good. So the church has become whiter. church has become blacker. Black church, blacker. White church, whiter. So everyone's kind of retreated back to the corner. So Bethel Atlanta is breaking that down, along with other kinds of churches. We set an example. So we have to show the world because the world doesn't know how to do it. So you can't defeat hate with hate and all the things that they're, you know. I, I, I never assign ill intention to people that are doing something that's hurtful or wrong, especially in the culture, because without God, you often have a stupid solution to a real problem. And the solution makes the problem worse. I, I, but I don't, I don't assign people ill intent for those things. I just want to say that the answers are in the kingdom. So the answer is in the love of God. So the love of God gives us the capacity to overcome these things. And so Jesus overcame the disposition of the Jews toward the Samaritans. He loved someone that under Jewish tradition he wasn't supposed to love. Any belief system that you have that denigrates your capacity to love other people is wrong. And it, any religious tradition that you have that empowers you to act unchristlike towards someone for whatever reason is wrong. Amen. So we want to love people even when we disagree with them, etc. So the third thing Christ did, I'm kind of related to the racism, is he overcame religious bias. So the Samaritans almost had a similar belief than Jews. They, you know, this is the will of Jacob. So they really tried to latch on to as many Jewish traditions as possible. But like I said, the Jews rejected them. And so Jesus didn't let 
that inferior, so, so they, they tried to include themselves in a family that wouldn't receive them. Ever had that happen? Yeah, with friends or other people, you know, you're not really a part of our circle, man, back off, you know. And the Samaritans wanted to belong, but they wouldn't, the, the club wouldn't let them join. So, so Jesus overcame the arrogance of being right in order to reach someone who was hurting. And I, I tell this, I, you know, don't, don't use social media to argue with other Christians about theology. And uh, uh, use social media to witness for Jesus. Just to shine for Jesus. So, um, every, you know, it happens to me, Blake, all the time, someone kind of picks a fight with me. I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. And so right away, because, you know, I, 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 you know I, I'm a Bible student, have been for a long time, have a few degrees. And so right away, my mind says, I could massacre this person. I could, this will be a bloodbath. And, and the Holy Spirit says, just, just, just tell him, God bless. I'm like, you're kidding. That's it. That's it. So, because the church becomes unattractive when it's in disunity. So Jesus said, just love each other. This is my commandment. In those 560 some Jewish rabbinic commandments, Jesus said, here's my commandment, a new commandment I give you, that you love each other. Just like I've loved you, that you love one another. By this love, everyone will know you're mine. So what Blake talked about is really true, that we want to live out a faith that shows love and a communion of fellowship that becomes so attractive, people want to join. So we, we, we have a chance now in this moment to model a healthy, beautiful kingdom community that becomes so attractive, people want to belong. Amen. And, and after they belong, we'll straighten out their thinking. You, you know what I mean? People belong before they believe. People belong before they get things right. We don't have people at the door saying, excuse me, if you don't check off these 10 lists, these 10 things, do you believe this thing, these 10 things, you can't come. Though we want people that don't believe any of those things to come. We want them to encounter Christ here, to renew their minds, and then after time, we'll, we'll, we'll let God do work with them. This, this is a funny story, worship team. Maya, uh, um, years ago, 1990, I was driving home from church and I was complaining about the worship team, the worship leader. And uh, I was still the worship leader. That's the whole point. <laughs> and so I was the worship leader. My bass guitar player was a country guy. And no matter what kind of theme the song had or what kind of genre it was, we turned country. It, 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 my, my guitar player was a long-haired rock and roll guy. And as soon as he got excited, he played so loud, you couldn't hear anything but him. And my keyboard player was a lovely older woman who was deaf in one ear. <clears throat> and so she was always a half step behind every, every note. And I was, catch up. And so I'm, I'm a lead, and I'm not the best leader. You know, I'm a good worshiper. I'm not a great worship leader. So anyways, I'm complaining, 
I said, man, because our church had grown, and I said, Lord, I passed this little bar called uh, the Dirty Drummer. And I said, Lord, there, there are better musicians in the Dirty Drummer playing for 15 drunks than I have for 1,500 people. <laughs> Jesus' name, amen. And uh, so I get home, and the Lord said, why don't you do something about it? I said, oh, great, it's always my fault. Why do I bring these things up? Why in the world would I start this conversation with you, God? And he said this. What he said next to me knocked me to my face in my living room floor. He said, command musicians to come out of darkness into my kingdom. And, man, it hit me like a lightning bolt. So I hit the ground, and I said, I prayed that. Well, what happened next, the phone rang. The coolest thing, while I'm praying, the phone rang, and it was my high school, my childhood best friend, who was a preacher's son, who's become a famous Hollywood composer, conductor, score writer for movies and stuff. And so he, he called me after not talking for 20 years, and I don't even know how I got my number. So his, and, and, and he's, he became an atheist, and he was kind of running from God. So, he, so he, he said, man, I finally got your number. I said, man, I was just praying for you to get saved and fly over here and become my worship leader. And... Uh, <laughs> He, 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 that didn't happen. <laughs> but what happened was, within a couple of weeks, the owners of the largest jazz nightclub in Phoenix, Jim and Nancy Simmons, got radically saved. Now, he was considered the best bass guitar player in our, our region. She had a great jazz voice. So when they got saved, they brought the best trumpet player, saxophone player, drummer in all of Arizona, these highly skilled jazz musicians. And so they're all sitting in the second row. No, I'm not a genius. But I looked at them and I looked at my band. And so I, I kind of brought him up there. And a part of that group was a young man named Israel Houghton. And uh, who I, God told me he was to, to lead the group. So all that happened. But I said that to say this. So people will write me notes. Pastor, that couple, Pastor, I, I guess you don't know that couple. They own a nightclub and they serve liquor and, and people shake their booties. And so they're, so, and I, I just told people, listen, just give Jesus enough time to change people. When we try to change their behavior before he's changed their hearts, all we do is burden them with shame and religious guilt. So, so anyway, so about six months after, you know, they're, they're part of the team. The team is starting to really gel and Israel's really growing. And uh, Jim and Nancy asked for an appointment. And so they were crying on the phone. So they raced down to see me at the church and they were weeping. They could barely speak and they said, God spoke to us to close our business down. Now they were offered $6 million to sell their nightclub, but they were going to close it down and receive nothing. When they told me that, I said, are you sure about that? Because I'm calculating a tithe on that right now. And uh, no, I did not say that. I might have thought that for sure. Um, but then I started crying, and the whole, the whole point was this. I wondered if a single one of their critics would have walked away from $6 million to honor Jesus. 
And the whole idea about God using people is this, that when, when, we, when we criticize where they're at, we just forget about where we used to be at. We forget about our own journey. So we want to be so merciful no matter where someone is in life and, and in their, their walk with Christ and not tell God who, who we can use and who we can't use. That kind of stuff gets really, we're tampering on, on, you know, in God's territory. So just a couple more uh, ideas, and then I'm, I'm going to start praying for people. In fact, I need to start praying for people now. Um, in Genesis chapter 13, God took Abraham up on a mountain, after, right after a lot separated from him. Right after the people that couldn't go where he was going, God showed him where he was going. So separation often is this incubation season just before a revelation and a multiplication season. So anyways, takes him on a mountain and says, from the place that you are, look, North, south, east, and west. All the land you see, I will give to you and your descendants forever. If you see it, you can have it. And that principle is so true, especially the revelatory work of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. God, God illuminates things so that we can, in the kingdom, possess them. We can live in them. We're not just supposed to know what joy is. We're supposed to have joy. We're not just supposed to know God's love intellectually. We're supposed to know it experientially. So we can have it. We can live in the fullness, the full reign of God's kingdom. So in your world, I pray, Jesus' name, that in the month of December and January, I pray for an outrageous revelatory season on Bethel, Atlanta, that God shows you what he's prepared for you in this next season. Because God's going to blow your minds. It's harvest time for Bethel, Atlanta. It's harvest time for you and your family. It's breakthrough time. The last example I'll give when my, so my story, how, how many of you have, haven't heard me before speak? And um, so my, uh, just, just, just a two-minute summation, maybe three-minute summation. So I, I've been married, Mary and I, 42 years. We've been in ministry. I've been in ministry 43 years. I began my first church after being a youth pastor, worship leader, and associate pastor for 10 years Started the first church at 27 in Scottsdale, my boyhood town. And um, God blessed it. Eagle's Nest Christian Fellowship got blessed it, like I said. Great things happened. The worship, all kinds of things happened. Church grew to about 4,500 people after 10 years. And we were building a auditorium just like yours, 4,800 seat auditorium. It was two-thirds done. <laughs> it looks that big to me. I mean, I don't know. And... Uh, when, in August of 1995, our church treasurer, a local businessman that I really put in charge of that project and raising funds in the church, embezzled $20 million from our church. So that was front page news, and his story, including our, his, his relationship as the kind of non-paid treasurer of our church, was in the front page headlines 10 times. So 10 times, often my picture, the church, never a good picture of me, it's always, yeah. Pastor Maiden looks like a monster. He must be a monster. <clears throat> Had all kinds of things happen, just unbelievable stuff. So the church grew from 4,500 to 140 people. And over two years of time, we, we uh, experienced six lawsuits, two class action lawsuits, 15 concurrent attorneys. Um, and I became clinically depressed for two and a half years. I knew I was depressed because I was finishing my PhD in psychology. And uh, <laughs> true, true story. Uh, laid on my own couch and said, sir, you're very sick. I said, <laughs> so 
Every book I'd read, you know, uh, oh, great, I got that too. That's lovely. That's lovely. And uh, so I was 37 and thought my life was over. 37. And my oldest son, Matthew, started self-medicating at 13 when this happened. Imagine losing all of his friends, death threats. We were homeless for 10 months. Four, four beautiful blonde-haired children. Homeless. And, uh, you know, we, we weren't in the streets, but we lived from house to, you know, whoever could take us. And uh, just was, you know, the worst things that could happen. So my, my son started doing drugs at 13. By the time he was 18, he was a full-blown cocaine addict, even though he was a star athlete. He moved out of the house. Drug dealers wanted to kill him. Police wanted to arrest him, knocking on our doors, looking for him. And I just prayed, God, don't let my son die tonight. And so by the time he's 19, it got really, really, really intense. And so the Lord came to me and chastised me and said, because I, you know, I would, I would say, God, have mercy on my son, wherever he is at. Um, please protect him. You know, just a heartbroken father praying for just hardly anything, just, just for protection. And the Lord said, I want you to change the way you pray and talk about your son. I want you to remind yourself of every prophetic word he's ever received. And I want you to pray the promise and not the problem over his life. And I ran and told my wife, honey, we're supposed to change the way we talk about our son. Now, I prayed seven years, nothing happened. We put him in rehab, I think, three times. Nothing happened. Nothing stuck. His heart broken, et cetera. So about seven weeks into this, we're praying. Mary and I are just confessing our son's a history maker, world shaker, a man of God, a great father, husband, businessman, pastor, whatever. Everything God had ever told us about him. And he, he was playing college basketball, I guess, before drug testing. And uh, <laughs> sorry, Matthew, I shouldn't have threw that in there. And uh, he wanted to date with the cheerleaders, and she was a godly woman. And she said, I'll only date you if you come to my church. And so he had been in church in a few years, and so he comes to visit her inner city, Phoenix Church. And the guest that Sunday, the guest evangelist, Matt, sit in the back row, you know, 100% uninterested in When's this thing going to get over? Come on. And the evangelist says this. There's someone here running from God with a broken heart. And three or four other things that were really specific. And God's going to heal you today. When that man said that, my son in the back row fell out. Shook in the aisle for 90 minutes. When he got up, he was set free from a cocaine addiction. Just like that. Like that. He, Matthew... Moved home with the Bible College, was a missionary to Haiti for a year. And, I mean, has, now he's got four beautiful children. He's a, uh, he and his wife are executive pastors of our church. He's also a, a successful businessman. All the things God showed me now are, have come to pass. And I, so I said, I want to say this. God will show you what something's supposed to be, not what it is. Anybody can see what's wrong. Kingdom people see how God wants to make it right. Amen.